leading vision of Russia, whatever the motives they have, that's another question. But you have to, to seek your objectives in a peaceful way, in a way that uh, privileges dialogue, privileges conversation. Sorry? We have five seconds. Uh, so, so, Amarim, I want to thank you for being with us. We're also going to have an interview with you in Spanish and post it on our Spanish website at democracynow.org. Celso Amarim, Foreign Affairs Advisor to Brazil's President Lula. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Yes, that's right. There's a Spanish version of Democracy Now, democracynow.org. You can find all of that. It's uh, just about 6 o'clock, and you're listening to radio station WUSB in Stony Brook. Broadcasting on 90.1 FM and 107.3 FM, as well as over the Internet at WUSB.FM. It being 6 o'clock on a Tuesday means it's time for another edition of Off the Wall.
Yes. Okay. Uh, it's um, another edition of Off the Wall here on WUSB. Home uh, of the Sea Wolves. Home of the Sea Wolves and a few hundred other people. Or Sea Wolves, as I like to say. They don't like that. They yeah, don't, they no. don't like that. It at is all. a little derogatory. This is Emmanuel Goldstein, uh, joined this evening by Kyle. Uh, yeah, that's me. Who's made his last quip about our sports teams? Uh, they uh, they dominate. That's all I gotta say. Mm-hmm. Enough yeah. said. Yeah, they were supposed to be playing today. Uh, some sport, I think baseball, but uh, snow, so you can't do that. Yeah, slush. Yeah, but there's gonna be a game tomorrow. But I don't think it's gonna be on the air. But just you know. It's February. Why are they playing baseball in February? It's Boy. pre-spring training. Pre- yes, but even the, even the major game. league people aren't really doing that right now. Well, I guess they are. Pre- They're starting series. to. You know, there's all kinds of new rules with baseball this year. Uh, one of them is um, the, uh, the, the, the countdown clock for pitching. You have to pitch, I think, within 20 seconds of when you get the ball back, which, uh, you know, those, those um, many minutes <laughs> that would go by where a pitcher was just... Stare at the batter and then stare at the first base runner, and there was all this tension. Well, that, that getting rid of that because they want the games to go faster. So uh, yeah, you, you got to pitch in 20 seconds, and if you don't pitch in 20 seconds, it's uh, it's a, it's a um, it's a strike. No, it's a ball. Yeah, that that, that works against the pitcher. Uh, but the batter can also get a strike by not being in the batting cage quickly enough. <laughs> so the whole game could like pass in front of you without anybody doing anything. And you can only try to pick off the guy at first base twice. If you try it again, that's a strike. No, wait, that's a ball. Oh, boy. I'm going to have trouble with this. I don't, you know, I'm one of the people that really doesn't mind when games go three hours. It's kind of relaxing. You can do all kinds of things while it's happening. Even if you're in the stadium, you can just wander around, visit with people, and read a book or something like that And while the game is going on. It's, it's like chess. I don't like chess on, on a timer either. And I, I don't think we should be messing with baseball. I think baseball is fine the way it is. Leave it alone. But um, I didn't like it when they when they introduced the uh, the rule where you don't have to throw four pitches to walk a batter. You just have to sort of nod or something or make some kind of uh, uh, sign, and yeah, the person is walked. But you know what happens if you throw you know ball three and and the the catcher drops it and you know he can't get it back and then somebody advances. You can't do that anymore. All in the interest of speed. I don't know. It does sound like a production thing. Like they they need the pace of the game to be uh, more predictable for breaks or something uh, to go to ads. Look, the game was invented. I hope that's not it. I hope that's not it. Eighteen hundreds, okay. And we're just talking about pace now. (laughs) I think you know it's been established. So uh, leave it be. Well, and what kind of um, side effects or unintended consequences might? there be as a result of this kind of thing like maybe there's more um injuries or you know because of the the pace hastens and there's less opportunity to take a breath or a step mm-hmm. uh when you're in a pickle or when someone's uh um uh you know challenging right some, something some of those moments you're describing like that that get contentious and take time and and even can be like more time <laughs> And, and, and be an undue waste of time. But you don't know what that experience is like for a player. And if you start taking little bits and pieces of that out of the game, seem, stands to reason you might see a little bit more um, 
uh, injury and, and like I said, just unintended effect um, on the actual people playing the game. Everything these days is just about doing things fast and getting it over with. You know, with that kind of attitude, why do it in the first place? <laughs> it's just, um, you, you got to relax, enjoy things a little bit. And um, good game of baseball. You know, I used to go to double headers when I was a kid. Double headers. That's when you play two games. And, you know, they do that now, yes, but they never have the same crowd there. You have to leave, and then a whole other crowd comes in for the next game. So they get, you know, two, uh, uh, two paying customers in the same seat in the same day. Uh, it used to be that uh, you could, it was like a double feature in movies. You know, everything that was good. Boy. <sighs> Not everything. Well, most things. Most things. Like snow today. Okay. You know, I was complaining about snow. I'm complaining a lot. I realize that. I realize as I get older, there's a lot more to complain about. Because you see things. You see things as you're growing up. And you realize, you know what? That's not as good as it used to be. You, you, you didn't do that right. And that's what I have to say about today's so-called snowstorm. Um, okay, everyone freaked out yesterday. Oh, my God, we're getting snow. February 28th, and we're finally getting snow. First of all, that's a disgrace, all right? And the amount of snow that we got, what was it? We, we asked our Alexa device how much snow we were getting, and... Uh, we have him in metric. Yeah, it's, it's a he. Uh, and um, he said uh, 1.2 centimeters. Not even an inch. And people are freaking out over that. And, of course, today, it's all melting. It's pretty much gone. No kid would go sleigh riding on that. No no, no school would cancel classes, even though I think some did. No, there's, there, there, there are shops in town that are closed because of the snow. Less than an inch. Do you know how hard people in Canada are laughing at us right now? Do you? It's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. We should have had a lot more snow. A lot more snow. This should not be our first snowfall of the winter. It should be like our fifth or sixth, at least. Do better. It would be layers and layers of ice, like melted previous snows, layering, and uh, then fresh powder. We'd be warning people about... uh, Mm -hmm. Black ice. And black ice. There might be some black ice tonight. I'm not saying that as, as consolation or anything like that. That's a true danger. No, that... Because the temperature's going to plummet. That tri- oh, it is going down again? Well, this is what happens. It's going to continue to this melt. This is part of the conspiracy. All right? <laughs> no, the temperature goes down when the precipitation goes away. And then there's precipitation coming. Hey, let's bring the temperature up. It turns to rain. No, that's not how you do it. That's not how you have winter. Why do I have to be the one to tell people this? I'm not sure exactly who I'm mad at, but this is not right. This is not right. Um, I'd make a good commuter. You know why? Because commuters are always complaining. We learned that yesterday. Grand Central Madison opened for the first time to actual trains, not just the shuttles from from Jamaica, you know, one of which we took a a couple of weeks ago. Uh, And, you know, it's a good idea that we did that because we could explore the whole Grand Central Madison and Grand Central Station complex, which is huge. And, and and so impressive, so amazing. Um, so it was introduced yesterday. They, they added something like um, uh, 290 more trains. They added 290 trains. There's 936 trains running every day on the Long Island Railroad alone. I mean, can you just even conceive of that? That's just one of the commuter lines here. We also have New Jersey Transit. We also have Metro North. We also have the PATH train. 
No, this is just the LIRR has 936 trains running every single weekday. And an extra 271, I believe is, it was a number, 40% increase in service. And yet, if you watched the news yesterday, every single newscast said, oh, the people in Port Washington aren't happy. People in Oyster Bay are complaining. Yeah, you know, when when you change the schedule, it's going to be inconvenient to some people and more convenient to others. I just don't understand how it's possible to add 271 trains and somehow say you're getting less. How does that ha- how is that possible? Yeah, there are, there are less trains going to Penn State. Although I don't understand how that's possible. If there if there are 290 trains going to Grand Central and they just added 271 extra trains, then how much could they possibly cut Penn Station? You know, at the most, you know, less than 20 trains, but the point is, it it, it doesn't fit with everybody's schedule. I know that. But it's better. Isn't it better? You know, I was was just watching all these interviews yesterday, and there was one guy... Uh, being interviewed in Grand Central Station, was really angry. He said, yeah, this isn't convenient for me at all because I work on the west side. Well, what the hell did you get off at Grand Central for? Why did you take the train to Penn Station? It's your fault. I think I just wanted to get on TV to complain. I think they're uh, they're mostly, like, mashing together into this um, umbrella category of inconvenience. Mm-hmm. Um, people who maybe had to get Travel further to get to a train versus people that missed or had to wait longer for a train, which which were probably much lower than those who really just uh, weren't then able to get to the west side like they normally would have. But um, definitely this this inordinate. I've, I've never seen a a overcompensation with with. Um, like telling the story of people who are unable to get or unhappy with something just just it was a real overcompensation it really is those who like those select few who fall into that category of of not having enough trains it really it made it seem like it was uh this whole thing was like not worthy of of uh doing or it's it's a fatal flaw of it it was a typical case of both siding fully fully. where you have one in ten people that had a negative view, but it was 50-50 in the way it was presented. Now, and, and the way I can tell this is because they always went back to the same starting points. They always went back to Oyster Bay or Port Washington, you know, those places on the north shore of Nassau County where uh, they didn't get their express train. They're angry because the train doesn't skip all the stops that now trains are stopping at because more people are being served. And um, uh, they've been slightly inconvenienced by that. Never mind the convenience of being a lot closer to your destination. If something changes, if your train leaves 10 minutes later or 10 minutes earlier, yeah, that's an adjustment you have to make. Uh, you know, it could have gone the other way. Whatever time your train is now, it could have changed to the time it was in the past. These are called changes in, in your day. But once you make those changes, then the trip itself should be, should be faster. And I know there are, there are still kinks in the system as far as making transfers and figuring out where to send the most trains and all that kind of thing. But um, I just, this kind of an increase in service is a monumental event. It's not being given the credit it deserves. 
because um, this is something that was six decades in the making, uh, pretty much the last 25 years they've been working on it, you know, for uh, in a serious manner. And, um, you know, to just sort of uh, say, yeah, it's it's not that great. I, I, I just don't think that's um, that's mature. I don't think that's realistic. I think the, the news writing is showing its age. Um, in, in other words, uh, if it's written for a, a fourth grade level, uh, uh, in the newspapers or, or, um, mm-hmm. you know, second grade for the TV, it's certainly apparent in, in how this was covered because, uh, it, it's just so dumbed down into just, oh, um, people are upset because anyone's upset and, and losing sight of the, the broader cost. Like it was an immense, expense well, and this, this gift yeah that's, i mean that's worthy of criticism um they, and, don't worry they'll criticize that too right right but it's it's also um something that now everyone can use for for time mm-hmm. and uh, that itself should be um there should be enough room in the coverage for some celebration and just showing people around uh helping them acclimate and be comfortable in in a new and the transitional period towards this being the the hub, as it were. And let me just say, you know, I don't like to categorize people. You know that. I, I, I try not to lump people together and make generalizations. But i got to say, commuters are the people who complain the most about everything. It's true. It really is. They have the most negative view of things, constantly moaning and groaning about one thing or another, inconsiderate, uh, and just always in a bad mood. And, you know, if you're a commuter and you're taking offense at this and you're on a train now, look at the people on the other side of the aisle and tell me I'm not right about them. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know I'm right. So, you know, you're one of them. Yeah. <laughs> if you ride that train every damn day into the city and you come back every damn day in, from the city, you're going to be in a bad mood and you're going to complain about everything. Well, you don't have to complain about everything in this change, if you look at it in the right way, perhaps, or just are open to it, this could be a brighter point. You might save if you can adjust, if it is an inconvenience, but it it will benefit you in the long term. And and if you can appreciate some of the um, good aspects of it, it might um, actually improve that every every day ride for you. Maybe you, you get to appreciate something else, if, if not the extra minutes. You might be missing the point. We might both be missing the point, though. Uh, to give commuters something new to complain about is a good thing for them. They enjoy this. They like to complain. So they won't say it, but by giving them more material that they can bitch and moan about, I think we're doing, you know, we're doing them right. Actually, so what it needs is a follow-up. Uh-huh. Like right away, yeah. To refocus to something even more outrageous. Raise the fares. Ah, that'll do it. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. Maybe like for April Fools or something. No, don't don't terrorize people <laughs> with that. Just share with them the progress and um, what is to come. There's so many loose ends too, yeah. and it's really cool. They're filling in these these. Um, projects that have been a long time coming. This is a, a great... There are so many good things that have happened recently. We just have to focus on that. Uh, this, um, uh, you know, Grand Central Madison is an amazing accomplishment. Uh, the third track from uh, from Hicksville uh, into, into Queens that allows trains to run express, which we should be seeing more of as a result of that. 
That's great, too. The second track from Ronkakuma into the city, which allows more trains to be able to, uh, you know, go back and forth. They've gone from one train an hour to the city to two trains an hour to the city. Now, out here in Stony Brook, we don't get that because we still have the diesel and we still have the single track. But we obviously need to electrify out here in order to have nonstop rides or, or one-seat rides that get all the way to the city. You can't get to Grand Central from here without switching because the double-decker trains can't fit into Grand Central. So, you know, it's a no-brainer that uh, electrification for a place where people are commuting in, in, in great numbers will make that much more doable. So um, I'm hoping that that's the next logical step. It should be in the MTA's um, a plan that comes out in October. Let's hope it is. Whole plan to um, have a new train yard in uh, Port Jefferson Station, um, and in uh, in uh, the old uh, whatever that site was where they dumped all the toxic waste, and they 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 they, they closed it. Uh, <laughs> they're going to move a train yard over there. Makes sense. Eliminated crossing on Route 112. There's all kinds of plans, and. Um, we should be supportive of that. It's environmentally sound. You know, not having diesel fumes everywhere um, certainly makes a lot of sense. So it's progress. Yeah, and a lot of that stuff doesn't have to be thrown thrown out right away. You can have mixed um, uh, vehicles moving about if if uh, the rails can accommodate both types. Um, and of course, those diesels already are ready for electric. They they have the ability. Um, where it's available, it's just not available at some of the endpoints. Uh-huh. But so much, um, you know, is possible when these bottlenecks are alleviated. And just, I hope people explore and take care and appreciate the whole thing, um, and it, and get excited about what's possible. It is nice to see infrastructure being prioritized. Uh, you know, mass transit and rail; these are important things, and um, it's smart to do it when ridership is down. You know, due to the effects of the pandemic, because it will go up again. Uh, you know, one of the things that wasn't given enough attention yesterday were the fact, basically the fact that um, trains aren't as crowded. They're not as crowded because people are going to different places. So that is a good thing. Yeah, and it just you need the capacity, you need the ability to grow and expand as as um, places get uh, more uh population, you know, increase and, and, and those sorts of transformations over time, mm-hmm. you have to be ready for what um, what places are, are going to need that instead of um, having to re, re-engineer the whole thing as an afterthought. Of course, also um, in emergencies and stuff, you need to move people and, and um, you know, have have options uh, and uh, reconfigure on, on the fly, like in inclement weather or, or whatever it may be, a, right. an, another super storm. Um, that's, those are critical links that you want to have um, maintained. Well, there have been many times where, where everything shuts down at Penn Station. It's good to have a backup for people, besides the subway, to get all the way to Jamaica Station. You know, have a backup, go to Grand Central, you can get out of uh, the city that way. Uh, if um, if things really fall apart at Penn Station, which, you know, they will at some point. Speaking of things falling apart, the uh, derailment in East Palestine uh, in Ohio, um, that has been a fascinating story to watch, just based on, on how it's being politicized and the craziness that we're seeing as a result of that. Um, even Fox News, or even at least one uh, commentator on Fox News, has, has noticed uh, how unfairly certain people are being treated. Um, Brett Beyer is, is one of their anchors. He said, 
there is this political moment, and there was a lot of criticism of the transportation secretary, referring to uh, Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg uh, it is exceedingly rare for a transportation secretary to visit the site of a train derailment, especially one that resulted in no fatalities. Uh, he said there are train derailments in the Trump administration that actually had fatalities that didn't have a visit by Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao. But um, this seems to have some momentum about the administration and its reaction to this derailment in particular. I, you know, I've seen that from the beginning, where people want to blame Democrats for some reason. I mean, I know what the reason is. They want to blame Biden. They want to blame Buttigieg. And the reality is that, uh, you know, basically regulations were eased during the Trump administration, regulations that lead to train safety, you know, brake requirements, things like that. It doesn't matter whether or not it would have affected this. It might affect the next one, you know. And it's just the mentality of, well, we don't need regulations. We don't need uh, to pay attention to safety. We're going to let these companies self-regulate. And you see what happens when they do. It's terrible. So, you know, that mentality is what you have to fight. That mentality is not what you see in the Biden administration. That mentality very much is what you saw in the Trump administration. Absolutely. Yet, you have the dumbass mayor of East Palestine basically from day one attacking Biden, saying, why is he in Ukraine instead of here? First of all, <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't on the schedule. The derailment wasn't on the schedule. So you couldn't plan, oh, I'm going to go there now instead of Ukraine. Um it's apples and oranges. These are completely different things, different priorities. And this this uh, this trend of um, holding up Ukraine as something that we should not be taking an interest in is really, really unhealthy, bad, and against everything we stand for. Because this is, you, you couldn't get a more black and white image of, um, of basically... Uh, um, an innocent country, an innocent amount of people being attacked for no reason other than the fact that they're in a strategic location. You know, we've seen it many times before, but um, I don't know. It, it, it seems to hurt a lot to see it now because we thought we were past this. I guess we weren't really past this and it was naive to think so, but it's really disheartening to see the number of people in this country, both on the left and the right, who seem to think we should just allow Russia to do whatever they want. And, you know, it's not up to us to allow them to do anything, but the world has a say in this. And our country has a say in the world. And I, for one, am glad that people are speaking out and uh, basically pointing out what's going on. So I hope we don't lose interest in that. Yeah, both are emergencies. And uh, the leadership can't necessarily be in two places at once. And uh, the 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 deputies and um, cabinet members uh, did go there, I think, um, once the site was begin beginning to be cleaned up. It, it, I, it strikes me as odd that people want to send in the government, send send in administration. They they roundly criticize no matter what to, to a toxic. Uh, uh, cleanup site. No, no matter what they do, it's going to be wrong. You know that. And we should not play into that, you know, in any sense. Um, you know, what, what Buttigieg did 
uh, was basically admit that he did something wrong when he didn't really do anything wrong. He said, I should have spoken out sooner. Were you doing your job or not? You know, if you were doing your job, uh, then, you know, say you were doing your job. You, you don't have to speak to the talking points that Republicans are throwing your way that you should have said this. Look, if you had gone there on day one, then you would have done it wrong. You know, you wouldn't have gone there in the right manner. Well, they, or they'll criticize your damn shoes. They'll find something. There's they, always going to be something. But, well, that, that, they did do that, too. But <laughs> They criticized his shoes, didn't they? They sure did, <laughs> which is a whole other issue uh, that isn't worth really uh, dissecting. But if he had gone sooner, I mean, I'm not clear. It isn't clear to me that the site would have been... Uh, totally safe he's going there for a photo and, opportunity that's what he's doing he's just trying to parade his face on tv while the people in well, palestine are suffering he should be back in his office doing his job that's what they would have said well that is uh supposing and and uh, assuming that he's uh been managing it that the federal government was managing the uh incident from the beginning of the situation and i find it it's uh it's so uh, interesting to me how um, excited uh, uh, localities get about bringing in the federal government to to come and and take control and help and and lead and give resources and and be there and um, you know do everything that they can for states. These are the same people that are vehement about deregulation and getting government out of industry and, and private enterprise and, and, uh, and their uh, domains in those localities. Which is it? Do you want a, a oversight, red, regulation, uh, proactive measures, investment in these kinds of safety technologies to perhaps uh, avoid some of these tragedies, tragedies? Or do you just want uh, uh, people coming in and cleaning up uh, uh, major disasters at your uh, beck and call, and it, it's it's uh, yeah, it, it's so childish and easy to to um, be upset and and uh, rage at the administration that you're unhappy with. But um, when you actually get into the the root cause and w what this is all about, I mean. No one was really ever re questioning why we're transporting vinyl chloride. You know, I mean, the. I'm not saying this. You know, uh, I, I'm not saying this for my for my benefit, but we should criticize the chemical industry. We should criticize this beyond uh, just the transport here, but the neglect in how this material is handled for an entity that's responsible for handling that much. Uh, in in uh, communities across the country, I mean, they can't just walk away or or say this is an accident or have the mayor, you know, bring in the previous president and and all of those uh, you know photo ops with the administration they prefer. It's just politicizing it even more unnecessarily. Yeah, I don't know. It there, it's all over the place. It's 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 a real mess. And yeah. Which which do you want and when? You know the, these just inviting people to come in to uh, take a whiff of your disaster. Um, it's it's a, it's unfair. I think it's just very selfish when when there are other emergencies going on, uh, and you certainly you know don't want the uh, intervention and, and oversight uh, when there isn't a sort of immediate crisis. But when the people get upset. 
uh, you have to answer to them. And I think they found that out there very quickly and uh, that it was beyond their control and they needed real leaders to step up and uh, and reassure a public that basically lost faith in the local leadership. It basically ba- it backfired completely. Um, no pun intended. Uh, an uncontrolled backfire, shall we say. Right. You know, it, it, what's interesting about all this, too, is that um, um, the members of the, the House Oversight Committee, um, they criticized Pete Buttigieg for not, um, not doing enough uh, with, uh, you know, to get the NTSB to uh, issue its findings. I heard about this. That's yeah. shameful. How and, dare he? <laughs> and... He has nothing to do with the NTSB. It's got the NTSB is not part of the Department of Transportation. Even I know that, but apparently members of Congress who just are out for blood didn't know that, and were basically calling on him to to get these reports out of an agency he has no control over, and and rightfully so. They're supposed to be independent, but this is what we're dealing with here: people in government who don't understand how it all works, just out for political points. So it's really pathetic. It really is, is awful. And there's just so much misinformation being bandied about in the media, you know, that, that makes it appear a certain way. But if you, if you follow the facts, if you look at how things are laid out, you know, you can figure it out for yourself. It really does a disservice to the actual discussion, the actual, like, root causes and other things worth criticizing. Like why we have so much, uh, so much bulk chemical transportation and, and, um, you know, how these things should be built and, and perhaps um, overseen. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, sometimes we read mail on, on the show. Do we have mail? We, we always get mail. Uh, and um, we, we don't, we don't uh, read it on the air often enough, I don't think. But uh, this is the invitation for people to send us mail, otw at 2600.com. That's 2600.com, otw for off the wall. Um, I want to read one letter that we got in the last uh, week or so. I think yeah, it was after last week's show we were talking about Ukraine uh, and, and just the craziness of, of reaction that we're seeing. We were playing Jill Stein and uh, her idiocy. Um, this is from listener Rose, who says, I just wanted to send you a note saying I very much enjoyed your show tonight. Not just because I agreed with everything you said, but I felt, uh, I felt better knowing that there's somebody sane out there regarding views on the invasion into Ukraine. It's scary to me how so many of my peace-loving friends are siding with Russia and justifying what they call a war. But no, 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 it's an invasion. Russia attacked. And for this time, I agree with the U.S. And if you have to take a side, I'm siding with Ukraine. Do I like that Ukraine is receiving weapons? I don't like weapons, but I do understand they need to defend themselves. Yeah. Amen. I don't have all the answers. I don't even have some of the answers, but... I know what Russia is doing is horrific. To suggest just negotiate with Putin is absurd. Deranged Putin could end this invasion, this slaughter, these war crimes in a second. Siding with him is frightening. In Russia, they're trying to flee because they don't want any part of Putin's war, and you certainly cannot express your views, you'll end up in jail. Can't believe this is going on for a year now. I feel for the Ukrainian people. I got sucked into an argument on social media uh, with uh, I'm not going to name names, but uh, someone from Code Pink. I said I was disappointed in a comment about supporting Russia and Putin wanting to negotiate. Are you kidding me? And all the whataboutisms. I'm so sick of all this. I really am. This country is divided in more ways than one. 
Sorry to ramble, but I did really enjoy your show. I felt like I was listening to some sanity, and lately I'm afraid to hear people's comments because many of my friends are on the other side now. People I've marched with for peace, justice, and human rights. Now we can't talk without a discussion getting so heated. I'm losing friends one by one. Thank you, Rose, for these uh, eloquent words. And, um, you know, if, if, if you're going to lose friends for expressing an opinion, for making an argument, they were never really friends to begin with. We should never back down in saying what we believe in. And that goes for people who disagree with us as well. You need to be able to disagree with people. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with that. But, you know, if you said something that I didn't agree with just now, I wouldn't have had a problem saying absolutely not. No, 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 no question. But we, we, we've lost that. We seem to have lost that ability to, uh, uh, to, to have an argument. You know, we just shut down. And when you do that, um, you rob yourself of an opportunity to convince somebody of a different point of view. And you can do that very easily with the facts here, you know, involving Russia, involving Ukraine. You know, all the um, uh, misinformation that we're fed, it's very easy to disprove. And history is, is, is something that we can point to. For instance, you know, the United States' history with wars is not a good one. No question about that. We were wrong in Vietnam. We were wrong in Iraq. We were wrong in Afghanistan. <laughs> you know, that we're wrong in very many places. This is not something that we're on the wrong side of. I don't think we should be on the ground, obviously, but we certainly should be supporting the side that stands for democracy and uh, the side that didn't do anything to the invading force other than exist. You know, and it should not just be the United States, though. It should be the entire world. We, we need to win China over. We need to get them to see reason here. I don't think we get there by, by threatening them. I keep seeing newscasts about that, how the U.S. Is, is warning China not to side with Russia. Yeah, you know, you think they're going to just say, oh, they're warning us. We better do what they say. No, entice them. You know, <laughs> this is the benefit that you get if you, if you pick the right side in this particular battle and uh, at least don't support Russia, you know. <laughs> I don't know. It's a bit cumbersome, but you're right. I think there has to be some some um, uh, uh, back and forth, a lot more deliberation, international uh, deliberation there. But that's not our, um, you know, our job. Our as our letter says, they don't have all the answers. Uh, or our, our letter writer uh, uh, said to us that, yeah, you don't have to have all the answers. Um, there are a lot of people that that work very hard on these issues, and mm-hmm. um, I think the the disagreeing thing too. You you have to be able to also conceive of a sort of um, uh, lifestyle or a community where you don't dis- you don't get along or dis- you don't um, agree on much. In fact, you disagree more than anything with people that you still are in common cause with. And that's um, mm-hmm. that's been something very hard to restore. I think a lot of people, the word trust comes to mind. Do you trust your fellow Americans? Right. Do you trust the um, opposition, your your political adversaries, as it were, in, you know, maybe it's a county election or, you know, some sort of small political uh, event? You have to have faith that in that that the uh, the other participants in in the the democratic system you're trying to operate and uh, function in are uh, also um, uh, as open to 
uh, existing in a world where someone that they don't agree with most of the time uh, exists and is valid and that they are in common cause with and upholding and um, and upholding values uh, that we have in common and and our sort of moral trajectory in um, in in all of our folly and flaws and um, for many years I think that's something I've reflected on my own of course we all do but just as a nation what are our foibles how have we had so many failings with like the CIA or you know uh, international uh, uh, adventurism and so forth uh, but at the same time, like a national defense, you know, ask yourself, does it have a purpose and what is that purpose? And um, sort of uh, international alliance and uh, um, the organizations like NATO, they do have a purpose and um, they they stand for something in the face of regimes that that on this planet don't agree necessarily with uh, the ideals behind them and our um, our. Um, um, belief. So you, you have to see the parallels that both domestically and internationally, there are disagreements domestically, yet people get along. And the idea before, I think, in many ways, was that uh, organizations like the UN and stuff would coalesce mm-hmm. and, and allow people to, though they disagree, gather and um, deliberate. We've We've had a lot of difficulty in that, and there's a lot of work going on to uh, better understand and better communicate um, whether uh, that is a stern and forceful uh, communique or, um, like you said, enticing, trying to um, sweeten the deal and make people realize that uh, uh, Western ideals aren't necessarily uh, a, as much of a cookie cutter as they're made out to be uh, or they're not out to change so many uh, uh uh, great parts of this world as, as people think uh, or demonize uh, the entirety of, of, of a, a national identity for the actions of, of their leadership. So, I mean, there, there's so much nuance that we lose if um, we allow the uh, arguments to, to be sort of um, uh, stopped before they even get started, before, whether with these giant fissures between people. Well, you know, I don't, I don't trust the CIA. I, I don't trust NATO. I, I really don't. But I think um, they a, can. I, they can stand for something that is worthwhile, especially if that's what we support. It's had a very uh, spotty track record. If you're if you're doing this now, that is the right thing to do. You know, and that's basically the way that I see um, agreeing with a, a government or an organization. Uh, basically, you look at what they are doing at that moment. Most of the time, I say what you're doing is not something I support, not something I agree with. You know, one of those things was was making Russia the enemy throughout the uh, the 90s into 2000. And yeah, we could have done better. We definitely could have done better, but we can't do anything about that now. You know, when we get to the stage where this is over, and um, and, and 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 Russia is is changed in some manner, you know, it would be good. To not have this East versus West mentality continue, you know, that's what I was hoping when the Soviet Union fell apart that there'd be more, uh, you know, uh, democracy in that part of the world, and there should have been, but unfortunately we have Putin now. But you know, he basically was um, was helped by a lot of the uh, you know anti-Russian rhetoric that 
we've seen a lot of. And now, believe it or not, Putin is the biggest cheerleader for NATO because his actions are making NATO stronger. Yeah, nobody else can claim that kind of credit. So these things all affect each other, and it's um, it's it, it, it's quite negative. But here's an interesting parallel. Um, you know, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan in 1979, um, and as we know, they were defeated. They were defeated by the Mujahideen in Afghanistan, uh, who did not take kindly to being invaded. And that was another example of how the people basically stood up to a superpower. Now, how long do you think it took to drive the Soviets out of Afghanistan? And this is with the support of other countries as well, including the United States. Not to the extent that we have right now, but definitely there was a proxy war of sorts going on between the U.S. and the USSR back then. But give a guess, Kyle, how long? Because I, I didn't know this. 25 years. No, it wasn't well. What, that would have been. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> That's a crazy number. I would have been into the uh, 21st I was century. Probably eating crayons. I don't know. Well, yeah, you might be eating crayons, but the point is, you know, this is one year. Okay, this is one year of a war. Uh-huh. That took nine years. That took nine years to get them out. And um, here's another interesting fact: uh, the amount of. Um, Soviet soldiers who were killed, about 15,000. We're already approaching 200,000 in one year. Another statistic, which is interesting, number of civilians killed in Afghanistan in that period, something approaching 2 million. Here, more like 15,000. So you have a lot more soldiers dying, a lot less civilians dying in a much shorter period of time. You just have to put all that into perspective. And um, I don't think it's sustainable. I really don't. You know, if nine years of war, they lose 15,000 of their troops, one year of war, they lose close to 200,000. How long can that go on for before the people back home say enough already? Right now, the people back in Russia are being controlled rather um, uh, completely by the media, which is hard to believe, but it can happen. I see what people do in Belarus as huge because right now Belarus is being primed as, you know, another uh, launching point for Russian troops. But if the people of Belarus say, you know what, Lukashenko, we've had enough of you and we're, we're, we're starting a revolution right now. Well, then Russia's got a big problem because they either have to start moving tanks into Belarus to put down that, uh, or they have to just not use Belarus at all and let, let issues play out on their own. And the people in Russia, they have a lot of power, too. They can stop this. And once they stop this, it's not like it's not like their country is being invaded at all. That's why this is an invasion, not a war. I know there were some reports today about um, uh, drones that were basically targeting uh, places in Russia. That's going to happen with or without the Ukrainians, um, Ukrainian army's support. You know, your own people could do that uh, or independent forces could do that. That's the risk you 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 um, you take when you invade countries. They might react. They might actually strike your land. But that has not happened until now. That really hasn't. <laughs> so um, there's a lot at play here, and a lot of things that can change with uh, if people realize the power that they have. So it's so true, and it it, it takes it saps time and energy if um, if things go that way in Belarus, as you said. I find uh, stark parallels here, and I think there is this other factor, too, 
um, uh, with energy and the sort of transnational interest and greed. That was very much a way that, uh, an asymmetric way that um, the West has been um, sort of uh, uh, exploited and, and taken advantage of our our um, our, our decadence and uh, and uh, conspicuous wealth. That that sort of uh, thing made, I think, bribery and a lot of uh, outside influence and so forth uh, more an environment where it was more permissive and and um, especially with energy interests in this country. I think there's this this other sort of layer of um, of um, uh, alliance uh, that that stands outside of uh, national borders, and it's interesting to see the interplay of that uh, with all of the uh, choices that Europe made over the winter. Luckily, and I, I know we were talking about weather earlier, but it was a, a pretty warm winter and so forth. And uh, as you said, yeah, there's this um, complicated. Uh, 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 war that that's ongoing and the duration and length it's all dependent on on how these populations deal with it whether it is inside Russia and um and uh people getting absolutely uh just at wit's end with the whole thing tired of it and mm-hmm. uh, uh wanting to speak out uh regardless of the the sort of um consequences they face it's it's uh um influx as you said so we're we're uh, heartened by the the support, and yeah, maybe uh, people disagree. Maybe they don't. They're not into it. That's fine. Um, you know, there, there's uh, uh, plenty of other people out there that are passionate about it. Well, I mean, I, I get that uh, people are upset that money is being spent on this, but were you that upset when money was being spent on the Gulf War? Well, or, or uh, the war in Afghanistan? I don't understand the mentality where people actually go and fight in these wars and then come back. And instead of being upset at the government that sent them over there, they're upset at the government that was against sending them over there in the first place. And when that government is involved in some military action, they're opposed to that. It doesn't really attract for me because, you know, when we're invading, um, we have a lot that we have to justify if we're invading a country. If you're defending a country that's being invaded, that's a lot easier to justify. So... I don't know. I have a real problem with people that didn't have an issue going over there to invade a country, but now are objecting when um, when people are trying to support a country that is just trying to survive. It seems a bit hypocritical. Yeah, I think that that's where those like uh, those uh, convenient uh, alliances that are outside of national boundaries, where it's like this um, right wing sort of attitude of um, uh, being okay with that kind of um, a double standard, so to speak, um, in the case of Iraq and um, and whatever uh, we were doing over there for so long uh, in Afghanistan, that as you said was uh, almost or pretty much uh, a second proxy uh, war, definitely Syria, um, a great power war with with um, Russia. So, uh, but this is a, a masks off and uh, a much bigger um, uh, uh, tension or um, uh, battle of wills mm-hmm. and um, being led and, and um, directed at, uh, mostly 
from what I can tell, by the Ukrainians uh, to fight for their sovereignty. And it's just amazing how much it changed in a whole year. We witnessed so much. I, I just... It, it's it's going to take a while, I think, just like the pandemic period. I think just understanding the the tectonic shifts around the world with this um, with this kind of dynamic, um, and yeah, I, I'd rather invest in it now, support people who are are fighting for their independence, um, and spend that money before it's uh, the next round of yachts, you know for for the the endemic corruption and so forth mm-hmm. you know um it's a part of me that 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 says um when you have a drone attack uh or an attempted drone attack like today in russia there's nothing putin likes better than to say look they're attacking us on our own land because then he can say yeah we have to do more because we're being uh we're at risk here but on the other hand can any of us say to the Ukrainians, yeah, you have to like be careful how hard you hit back? No, what what has happened over the past year is deplorable and needs to be answered in, in, in kind. And um, it's not up to us to tell Ukrainians how they respond. They, they have the right to respond however they feel like. And um, all we can do is support them in whatever way we can. But it is their country. It is their their future. So, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by this at all. Yes, Putin can use it to his advantage, but how much are people supposed to take before they, they strike back? Not this much. Not ever. Yeah. So, anyway, that's uh, that's what's going on over there. Um, not much else going on over here. Well, there's no more Dilbert in Newsday. Yeah, I heard uh, Scott Adams quit. No, he didn't quit. He just, he, his mouth wouldn't quit. Oh. Well, this guy just <laughs> basically decided to uh, attack African Americans, uh, describe people who are black as members of a hate group uh, from which white people should get away. He then went on to say that he's already done that. A hate he, group? What? He makes himself uh, not not around black people at all. What story which, does he have as a a white man that he in his entire you know, life has been treated anything other than like completely politely it's it's not worth even going into this at all except to say that you know if you're going to criticize woke culture this is what it's about okay a guy says something incredibly stupid like that there should be consequences if if you're spreading hate you you shouldn't get to continue to benefit from from all that you've been given. So, yeah, it makes sense. Drop the damn comic strip. The guy is filled with hate. I don't know what his problem is, but don't make it our problem. That's not cancel culture. That's just, you know, common sense. And I'm, 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 I'm happy people are reacting in the way that they're doing. Nobody told him to say these things. It's coming from the heart. It's hatred. And we do not have to... Um, uh, to, to embrace that. You know, I, I saw, I think it was Brian Creston who said this over the past couple of days. He was explaining why MAGA is a racist term. And I, I never really put this into words before, but it makes such sense. Make America great again. From the African-American perspective, from the Native American perspective, when has America been great? You know, it's always been a struggle. It's always been something that um, uh, they've been oppressed by. Can it be great? Absolutely. It can be great in the future. But, it was not great in the past for them. So when you say make America great again, you're saying let's go back to that time where you were even more oppressed than you are right now. 
And, uh, yeah, we'll all be happy, and you won't be, but so what? That's why MAGA is a racist term. So maybe we think about that a little bit. All right. We're out of time. I wish we'd go on for longer, but uh, we have to go. Well, uh, remember that the whiteness is a uh, unattainable social construction mm-hmm. as a part of the racial binary. Write to us, otw at 2600.com. Stay tuned for Finn coming up next. We'll be back again next week here on Off the Wall. Good night. Bye. Stony Brook.